The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. You're watching Squawkbox in your headlines this hour. Russian President Vladimir Putin tells CNBC he is not weaponizing energy amid spiraling gas prices. But he points the finger of blame at the U.S. for not picking up the slack when it comes to international gas supplies. This is what I call a politically motivated blather. It has nothing to support it when it comes to saying that we use energy as a kind of weapon. Two more UK energy companies go under amid the ongoing gas price spike, while BP CEO Bernard Looney says the crisis requires one thing, that's money. This is not a, a crisis that is homegrown. This is the result of a global situation. And I go back to my earlier comments around investment. It requires investment. Elsewhere, Fed officials could start tapering bond purchases from the middle of November, according to the latest minutes, as annual inflation rises, wait for it, to the highest level since January 1991. And Chinese factory gate prices rise at their fastest pace since records began, as raw material costs spike. But consumer inflation comes in weaker than expected as pork prices slide. U.S. earnings season kicks off with J.P. Morgan topping on third quarter profit forecasts with a $1.5 billion boost from better-than-expected loan losses. So let's kick off with this uh, discussion with uh, the Russian president, Vladimir Putin. Uh, the president has dismissed accusations that he's using energy as a political weapon as, quote, uh, politically motivated blather. Speaking to Hadley Gamble in Moscow, Putin said he was ready to increase supplies to Europe while suggesting that undersupply from the US and other countries is contributing to the current squeeze. We are increasing our supplies while partners from other countries, including the US, are actually decreasing their supplies. This is open information. You can just look it up on the internet. You can find it all there. And you are talking about Russia being accused of using energy as weapons. This is utter nonsense. This is politically motivated blather that has nothing to support it. Well, Hadley asked the president whether he discussed oil markets with the Biden administration in the same way as with the Trump White House. No, uh, we have not discussed those issues with him, but we are in touch with the U.S. administration and generally... I believe we have a fairly stable relationship with President Biden. As you know, the Under Secretary of State is now with a visit in Moscow, and she's discussing it with her Russian counterparts, the subject of further contacts with President Biden. So I would say we're having constructive relationship with the current administration. The latest Pew Research poll says that 44% of American Republicans want President Trump to run again in 2024. Would another Trump presidency be good for the energy market? 
well, this is something that does not relate to us, and I don't want to provide any kind of assessment like this. I've been saying that before the U.S. election, before the election of President Trump and after, and also after the previous elections, I've been saying that we are ready to work with the President of the United States that is elected by the U.S. citizens. We are not giving any assessments. I'm only saying that the fundamental interests of uh, both countries in terms of security and reduction of the strategic weapons, combating terrorism, um, money laundering, uh, also combating with tax, tax havens, stabilization of energy markets, those are objectively important things for us where our interests coincide and undoubtedly that will result in the fact that the relationship between our two countries will get better and the U.S. political establishment will finally stop speculating on the U.S.-Russian relationship, trying to damage their own interests and the interests of their own companies. And We've seen that the U.S. imposed sanctions against Russian companies also in the energy sector. But what they've seen is they saw ExxonMobil quitting some very favorable contracts, apart from one project in the Far East that they have been participating for a very long time. Well, who benefited from that? Nobody. The gas prices have skyrocketed. And we see situations in the oil market that the U.S. is suffering from, first and foremost. So the result is not just zero, it's actually negative for those imposing those sanctions. And I do believe that finally the understanding that uh, sanctions policy is not leading us anywhere. And I hope that Gradio will be able to recover our relationship. Well, Hadley now joins us uh, live from Moscow. Um, Hadley, let me just say a tour de force. Terrific interview, terrific discussion, and thank you so much for that, because I think we all enjoyed the backwards and forwards in the conversation on various topics. But, but let's just refocus on that headline point here. I have some empathy with the president's position, arguing that he didn't cause the EU's gas crisis. But it is clear, isn't it, over the years that Russia has used its availability of natural gas and oil in a political context. So what did the president have to say when you challenged him on Ukraine? Because clearly the new pipeline, once it's certified, does bypass the traditional route through Ukraine that would have um, added, obviously, to Ukraine's government revenues. No doubt about it, Jeff. And it was a fascinating conversation, as you say. Um, you know, I pushed him on Nord Stream 2. I pushed him on what that would mean for Ukraine. He pushed back. No surprise there. I said, listen, are you going to extend this agreement beyond 2024? And I asked him that, I think, at least twice. And he refused to really say. He said, you know, listen, we're talking about a pipeline that's damaged. It's old. We've, we've got, you know, gas leakage. Um, if they're going to put the money in to the pipeline to make sure that it's not an environmental problem, then potentially we'll continue doing that. But he refused to say that he would extend that agreement beyond um, the next few years, beyond 2024. And, and it was interesting because I challenged him on that with regards to Angela Merkel, essentially saying, you know, what conversations, what assurances uh, did you give the outgoing Chancellor of Germany there? Because as Steve and I have often said, um, you know, it makes no sense that none of this backs up on her when it comes to using energy as an arm of foreign policy. Now, the Americans have done it. The Russians 
clearly have done it. People do this. It's no surprise. It's like spying, right? We all know that governments spy on governments. It's what they do. But at the end of the day, the real big question for Russia is how relevant they're going to continue to be as the years go by. Because essentially what we've heard from analysts, you know, Europe will continue to rely on Russia for at least uh, one to two decades when it comes uh, to the energy transition, when it comes to natural gas, when it comes to oil. But at the end of the day, the world is moving on. And what is Russia going to do about it? Because we're still talking about an economy that's not as big as the economy of California. He's got a real problem. Now, one of the questions that I did ask him, though, offside from this conference was whether or not we're going to see oil contracts denominated in something other than U.S. dollars, the world's reserve currency. Listen in to what he told me. It's early to say so. Потому что криптовалюта, конечно, она может быть может быть расчетной единицей. Cryptocurrency may be a, a unit of a counter. But it's very unstable. Ну, для того, чтобы переводить средства там из одного места в другое, да, но to transfer money to some other place, maybe, but it's too early to talk about the trade of energy resources in crypto. Cryptocurrency is not supported by anything. It may exist, exist as a means of payment. Нефтью, скажем, или другими первичными материальными источниками энергии. Все-таки пока, мне кажется, об этом рановато говорить. But I think it's too early to say about the oil trade uh, in cryptocurrency and trade in other primary energy sources. Ну, все развивается, все, все имеет право на то, чтобы существовать. Ну, будем смотреть, как это будет идти дальше. Может быть, когда-то это может быть и средством накопления. Ну, мы видим, как колеблется этот рынок. And everything develops, and uh, it have, uh, has the right to exist, and we'll see in the future, maybe it will be a means of accumulations, we'll see. But it's too early to talk about it today. Does that mean, though, in your view, with regards to crypto, people like Elon Musk, the value of what they hold is worthless? I believe that it has value, but I don't believe it can be used in oil trade. Для того, чтобы имитировать, нужно же, вы знаете, об этом огромное количество энергии. But in order to emit cryptocurrency demands tons of energy. Это нужно использовать пока, использовать традиционные виды, прежде всего углеводороды. And so far, we must use traditional means, hydrocarbons. I know that via your central bank governor, our conversation this summer, she essentially said to me that you're moving away from US dollar denominated assets when it comes to um, trying to diversify away from the US dollar. Is that so sanctions um, have less of a bite to the Russian economy? I think that the United States has a very big mistake that they use the dollar as a sanctioning instrument. I believe that the US makes a huge mistake in using dollar as a sanctioning instrument. Они это делают, так как препятствуют расчетам в долларах за санкционную продукцию. And it does so because it impedes U.S. transfers in U.S. currency or buying sanctions production. 
потому что нам невозможно получить деньги клиентов за поставленную продукцию в долларах. К чему это приводит? Мы вынуждены просто. У нас нет другого выбора. Мы просто вынуждены переходить к расчетам в других валютах. And so we are forced, we have no other choice but to move to transactions in other currencies. Это первое. This is the first thing I wanted to say. А второе, когда другие страны, которые используют доллар в качестве резервной валюты, либо в качестве инструмента расчетов, видят, что происходит, у них у самих возникает тревога, что доллар может быть использован и в их отношении таким же образом. And secondly, other countries who have their reserve currencies or use dollars as a means of payment, they are also concerned by the situation. They are concerned that this dollar may be used against them. И они тоже начинают сокращать и свои долларовые авуары, и как расчетную единицу меньше использовать. And so they do the same. They diminish the role of dollar in their reserves, and they move away from using it as a means of payment. Результат. So what? This is the result. Нет, результат в том, что даже ближайшие партнеры и союзники США в своих резервах долю доллара сокращают. Это это факт статистический. As a result, even close partners and allies of the United States move away from dollar in as a means of payment, and this is a fact. И мы, конечно, это делаем. И в резервах своих сокращаем доллар, и в расчетах мы стараемся переходить. Это не всегда возможно, но стараемся переходить на расчеты в национальных валютах. В этой связи можно сказать, что США пилит сук, на котором сидят. Потому что это абсолютно конкурентное преимущество доллар в качестве универсальной резервной валюты мировой. Они его подрывают таким образом в интересах сиюминутной политической конъюнктуры, наносят ущерб своим стратегическим экономическим интересам. And this dollar is a competitive advantage. It is a universal reserve currency, and the United States today uses it to pursue political situation, immediate political goals, and they harm their strategic and economic interests as a result. Fascinating stuff from the Russian president. I mean, he never holds back, does he? I just want to say. Jeff, Steve, thank you both so much for being so supportive and talking me through all of this in my two weeks of quarantine. It was deeply appreciated. And as well, the unsung heroes um, at uh, London, uh, we're talking about Louise and Leonie as well. Thank you guys so much for cutting all of this stuff and staying late to make sure that we got it all out. It was a great conversation. It was really interesting, but I felt deeply supported by you guys. I really appreciate it. That's very kind. Uh, well, there's a risk of a love fest breaking out here, so let me move swiftly on to spare all of our blushes. Uh, it is an inconvenient truth, isn't it, that I think President Putin pointed out that the Russians are largely dependent on the dollar, even though they've taken measures to increase gold holdings at the central bank, and they've also created their own payment system to try and reduce the risk of the economy being disrupted by further weaponization uh, of the dollar here. But it, I thought it was very interesting what he had to say about cryptocurrencies, because initially it seemed like he was no great fan. But in fact, he's got quite an open mind, it seems, to where ultimately cryptocurrencies may take us, even if it's not for pricing oil contracts at the moment, Hadley. 
actually, it was, it was really amazing, actually, because I asked him about that and I pushed back and it was funny because the translator standing there, I thought he said um, that cryptocurrency was worthless. And when I pushed back on him, so you're saying that people like Elon Musk who have holdings in crypto, Bitcoin and other things, uh, that their holdings are worth and he's not, not quite. But, you know, remember that the conversation here in Russia has been one of, of complete rejection of the crypto market, other than the fact that they're developing their own digital ruble. That was the message that I got this summer when I was at SPEEP at the St. Petersburg International Economic Forum. I pushed back on the central bank governor about this and she said, listen, you know, it's a way for you know, terrorists and others to, to, you know, nefarious activity. Um, she was talking, of course, about the security of cryptocurrencies, you know, dismissing it out of hand. Um, but it was interesting, as you say, that the president left the door open to this one. And that just seems as if it's accepting the reality that digital and cryptocurrencies are here to stay. Yeah, I mean, uh, Elvira Nabiolina, the, the central bank governor, is a straight shooter. And I don't think she would have much truck with uh, cryptocurrencies uh, as part of the bank's arsenal at this point, Hadley. I, th I think that's a terrific point. But the irony is, of course, that Russia could be a source of cheap available energy for powering those servers for cryptocurrencies, but not anytime soon by the sounds of things. Hadley, we'll catch up with you later on. Thank you so much for that. And you can see more of Hadley's uh, plenary panel with Russia's Vladimir Putin online at cnbc.com. the markets and the Fed in particular, as the central bank could begin tapering as soon as mid-November, according to the minutes of the U.S. central bank's previous meeting. The summary indicates that the Fed would likely start cutting its asset purchases by $15 billion a month. It's currently buying around $120 billion worth of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities every month. Without disruptions, the asset purchases would come to an end sometime in mid-2022. And a huge focus for the markets yesterday, the U.S. consumer prices rose 5.4 percent on year in September, slightly ahead of economists' expectations and the highest reading since January 1991. The inflation was largely driven by energy and food prices, as well as rents. On the month, CPI rose 0.4 percent. So buckle up and uh, we still seem to be on the rise when it comes to inflation, Steve. Uh, apparently, yes, Karen, and it seems to be transitory, which is something that Stephen Roach of, uh, of, 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 of I see Harvard now, but formerly Morgan Stanley, of course, China expert, he was saying, look, a lot of policymakers now making exactly the same mistakes as they made in the early 1970s, trying to explain everything away as transitory. That's Stephen Roach in the FT today. Well worth reading as well. Uh, and very interesting, look, looking at Karen's analysis there uh, of the CPI as well. Even when you strip out um, the, the, the energy and food and you get to the core figure, a 4% figure, that's core. Yeah, that's stripping out the volatile stuff, still twice the level, which uh, apparently is the target. I think there's... Uh, no need for substantial further progress on that one, is there, as the central bank would say. Anyway, look, the Dow was uh, flat, actually, uh, but it was down 0.002%, which means it was another down day. It was recorded, but it's four down days in a row. Now, the statisticians get excited about that kind of stuff. But actually, despite four down days, the Dow's only fallen 1% this week as well. So not too far away from those 52-week highs. We actually saw a solid old rally on the Nasdaq Composite, up 0.7%. We're going to spend a bit more time, hopefully, on JP Morgan a little bit later on as well. But I thought there were two or three absolutely 
fascinating parts uh, of the JP Morgan story, which actually uh, talk about the bigger truths in the US economy at the moment. Let's take a look at treasuries, where they hit 161 last week on the 10-year, now back down to a more modest 155 on the 10-year paper. Uh, On the two-year, on the short end of the curve, 0.356. And at the longer end, you get just over 2% for your 30-year paper. The dollar actually had a really solid downtick day yesterday. It was really down a half of 1%. Um, The euro dollar now trading 115.87, cable 136.63. So a solid day for a lot of other currencies. The dollar coming off very interestingly yesterday, I thought as well, despite the fact that, uh, as Karen was saying, tape announcement appears to be in the bag, barring some awful data between now and the November Fed meeting. Uh, and CPI remains pretty robust as well. Nothing too mean happening on the markets or on the earnings front as well. So very interesting to see the dollar index falling uh, and the dollar crosses falling across the board yesterday. Uh, oil's back up. I did mention this time yesterday, very, very hard to get Brent down at the moment as well. Look, right back up to 83.79, up 0.73 of 1%. Had an assault on 83 to the downside yesterday, uh, but there are still shortages of getting product to market, it appears, around the world. Uh, Crude, WTI, which again was flirting with $80 a barrel, now back up to $81 a barrel. I should mention, though, we've also got US producer prices today. And out in Asia, we've seen some, I would say, um, solid uh, data out of China in terms of PPI. Wouldn't you say it was solid when it's the highest level since 1991? Yeah, I think we all can agree on that one as well. So let's have a look at the Asian indices and what that is doing for the mainland Chinese markets. And absolutely nothing. The Shanghai Composite, 0.04% higher. ASX up a half of a percent. But the Nikkei and the Kospi both putting on over a percent today. The opening calls for the European markets look like this. We are... That looks interesting. I think somebody's gone a little bit haywire on the footsie there. I, I think one of our producers might want to have a look at that. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Someone who's long the footsie. I, I think one of our... Okay, it was up 0.16%. I've got a sneaky feeling, production team. That's a little bit too high by around about 200 odd points. Yeah, uh, but, but I, as I say, you know, having lots of FTSE in my pension, I'd be quite happy with that number. Uh, but I'm <laughs> you, sure that's... Are you, uh, you liquidating? Uh, no, not at this point. Uh, and buying what? That's the problem, right? That's the problem for everybody. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, well, apparently there's yeah. a lot of things you're not allowed to, you're not going to be able to buy before Christmas, which I think is a little border dash anyway. <laughs> uh, that's come, the polite word for it. Well, absolutely. But fortunately, I'm, I'm out of the toy range. I'm now moving into the more expensive sort of hi-fi area yeah, with my children. Your daughters will be looking at earpods and iPhones. And yes. Other brands are available. Well, very interestingly, they're much more interested in vinyl these days, which I'm very no, excited about. Really? I'm very excited about that. That is the in thing, apparently. Yeah, but bet not your vinyl is in the loft. Well, Falduna can only last so long, right? <laughs> uh, and Des O'Connor. Like Steppenwolf with you, mate. I loved him, but not everybody is coming. We know you're the Clash in ACD, the uh, ACDC. Com- coming up on the programme, we're going to get a reaction from Europe to President Putin's assertion that Moscow is not using energy as a political weapon as Berlin grapples with certifying Nord Stream 2. That's the new pipeline that would channel Russian gas directly into Germany, bypassing Ukraine. We'll be back in just a moment as the sun arrives in Berlin.
Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. One of the world's largest independent energy traders has cut its positions after being hit with margin calls in the face of spiking gas prices. Geneva-based Governor has reportedly already paid $1 billion and still has another $3 billion in reserve to cover its remaining exposure. Elsewhere, UK gas shipping firm CNG has told customers urgently to find an alternative provider. As bankruptcies ripple through the supply chain, the Glencore-backed company warned it could no longer continue services with the CEO saying it's uh, working with partners to try to find the best possible outcome within the, quote, challenging conditions. Uh, Two more UK energy suppliers have gone bust amid record wholesale gas prices. Pure Planet and Colorado Energy, which between them have around 250,000 customers, collapsed yesterday. BP-backed Pure Planet blamed the UK's energy price cap for the failure and hit out at the business secretary, Kwasi Kwarteng, for, quote, staid regulations. A total of 14 UK energy firms have now gone bust this year. Karen. Russian President Vladimir Putin told CNBC the construction of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which will transfer gas directly from Russia to Germany, will significantly ease the gas crisis in Europe. Now, speaking to Hadley at the Russian Energy Week summit, Putin said both he and German Chancellor Angela Merkel recognised the commercial importance of the pipeline. As far as Nord Stream 2 is concerned, you are right. She's never blamed Russia because she and I have always assumed that this is a purely commercial project which is not politically motivated and like what the opponents of the project have uh, claimed they have always been saying that this is not a commercially viable product and that Russia is pursuing not only due to political motivation and that is why Russia is uh, building Nord Stream 1, 2, Tech Stream. But, you know, this is yet another piece of nonsense, and I'm going to tell you why. First, the uh, gas distribution network of Ukraine was uh, constructed based on the assumption that there was only one region of Russia which was producing gas, the Uringai gas field, which has been exhausted stage by stage, and that is when we shifted production northwards to Yamal Peninsula, and that is when and where we started to build a new gas distribution network, and it's been two decades now in the making. Putin also went on to reinforce that criticism directed at the pipeline was entirely politically motivated. The emissions for these new gas pumping stations are more efficient, five or six times more efficient than in the Ukrainian gas transportation system. So when someone says that there is some political rationale behind that, they simply close their eyes to some obvious facts, precisely for political motives. Nord Stream 2, as well as Nord Stream 1, are purely commercial projects. And this is the position of the outgoing chancellor, and I fully agree with her. 
Let's get out to Sylvia now, who joins us live from Berlin with more on European energy policy as German regulators work on the certification of Nord Stream 2. Sylvia, in that conversation yesterday with Vladimir Putin, it was very interesting to hear that there had certainly not really been green lights that the Russians had seen on the back of this energy crisis for their Nord Stream 2 project. So just talk us through some of the hurdles that are yet to be cleared at this stage. Right, and one of the reasons that we are in Berlin today is exactly because a lot about the discussions when it comes to the future of energy market, but also this ongoing energy crisis has to do with what Germany decides next. One of the pending questions is when will the energy regulator here give approval to the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, as the Russian president uh, mentioned yesterday. Now, the institution here in Berlin has said that it will take up to, it has at least three more months left to make that decision. But then after that, the European Commission in Brussels has also to issue an opinion on the matter before the pipeline can start working properly. Um, uh, so there, that could take still a couple of months before we could see Nord Stream 2 functioning at full capacity. And in fact, I was reading a note yesterday from S&P Global saying that market players are not expecting Nord Stream 2 to play a huge role in the energy market in Europe this year. Having said that, though, we know that Germany is also in this political negotiations to trying to form a coalition government. We know that the Greens are not in favor of this pipeline. But I spoke with one energy analyst here in Germany yesterday and he told me that, in fact, it's a matter of time before the energy regulator gives approval to Nord Stream 2, despite some of opposition from the Greens. He said to me yesterday that the Greens are unlikely to sacrifice a broader coalition agreement just, be just because of Nord Stream 2. But if I turn to Brussels for a moment, we also heard from the European Commission on Wednesday outline a couple of more measures on how countries should tackle this ongoing energy crisis. But some member states, namely Spain, have already said that the suggestions that the Commission made on Wednesday are not enough. So this is a, a likely to be a continuous discussion uh, in the broader European context. Um, so let's see what will happen there. But for the time being, when it comes to Nord Stream 2, guys, we're still waiting for Germany to give its approval. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.